Hey everybody, Jeff Duncan here. Before we get into this week's episode of the Duncan Holder Podcast, I want to tell you about a great deal we've got going here at The Athletic. Look, if you're listening to the podcast, you're already a loyal subscriber. You know how great the coverage is here at The Athletic. So I don't have to convince you about the quality of our work here. But what I wanted to fill you in on is the opportunity to get more of that coverage at a reduced rate. You can get 40% off your annual subscription right now. Here's how you do it. Go online to theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder, and you can get 40% off an annual subscription. There's no better time to do it. With sports leagues everywhere ramping up their activity. We've got the Pelicans back in action this week down in Orlando. The Saints have already opened training camp. LSU and Tulane are going to be right behind them with their fall football camps. So really, it's the perfect opportunity to get all of our in-depth coverage of all your favorite local teams, as well as your national and international teams across the globe. The coverage here at The Athletic is off the charts. You already know this, so go to theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder for 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. There's no better time to be in that number. What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dad who dad stuff. You know, that's really kind of a, a fan, you know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder Podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Got a great show coming up. After a little bit of uh, some time off leading up to Saints training camp, yes, actual training camp, uh, we actually have, hopefully, some football to talk about, uh, but it's certainly a bizarre dynamic, Jeff, as you and I have certainly discussed, and our guest, special guest, Catherine Terrell, of course, covers the Saints for The Athletic. We've all kind of gone over the scenarios of what to expect from this training camp, not just on the field, but the off the field things. Uh, first off, Jeff, Catherine, how are y'all today before we uh, we get cranked up? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Back from vacation, uh, batteries recharged, rested and uh, ready to go, man. It's uh, good to talk sports for once. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. We, we get to argue about the 53rd guy on the roster again. I mean, sports is hopefully here soon so uh things are looking up this week i i hope at least football wise yeah look we've got plenty of coverage on the athletic right now 53 man rosters uh we've got position groups uh that we're looking at and all kinds of other great coverage jeff also has a column up you can go check that out theathletic.com slash new orleans but uh, look before we start going into kind of the nitty-gritty of the question marks around this team there's no ignoring, uh, and it should be first and foremost, the safety concerns of where this training camp is going to be, how different it's going to be. And, and Jeff, I know in your column, uh, you had some interesting tidbits of what the Saints were looking to do as far as keeping the team as much in a bubble, per se, as possible. And look, as we're recording this, uh, you're seeing players around the league 
left and right starting to opt out. And that is an option that players have. And so we don't have any word as of it is Tuesday morning of Saints players necessarily doing that. But it, it this wouldn't surprise me, but Jeff, uh, if some players opted out. But just Jeff, some of the details that kind of you gathered and, and your thoughts of how this training camp is going to go. Yeah, well, look, I think it would be a surprise to everyone if someone on the Saints did opt out because they were expecting uh, everyone to be here either on Tuesday or the rookies, of course, reporting on Monday. But it shows you how fluid this whole thing is, the fact that the league and the Players Association was still negotiating the parameters of how the camp was going to be administered all the way up until just a few days ago before camps were scheduled to open. Uh, and the fact that the Saints, all the way up until the weekend, were planning on holding their, uh, I guess, their the bulk of their training camp activities at a local hotel uh, in the area that was close to their camp. Uh, they had a plan. They were going to buy out the entire hotel. This hotel already had a bunch of rooms, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, booked for at least the next three or four weeks. It was going to cost the Saints, uh, you know, well into, uh, you know, over a million dollars, up to close to being $2 million. But they wanted to do this to to create as best they could a bubble-like environment because of the concerns many of the players and staff even had about the virus. And I thought it was a very good plan. The problem was the NFL – would not allow it. it. It didn't meet their their standards. They want everything at one site, whether that's on the facility uh, grounds where you hold your meetings and you're going to conduct your walkthroughs. They want everything at one spot. And the Saints were trying to conduct all their meetings at the hotel, and they've done that in the past, but it's not going to fly right now. I actually think the way the Saints had it set up with the hotel was going to be safer for everyone. Now, you're going to have about 30, 35 players at the hotel. The rest of the staff and players are going to be at their own homes or apartments or wherever they're staying. So I think your subject, uh, your your safety is subject uh, to maybe greater interaction and potentially a uh, greater chance of an infection this way than the way the Saints had it. But uh, the NFL is not playing around with this thing, as we all know. And Catherine, look, the structure of training camp, uh, which what we have covered, uh, look, you've covered – uh, for your years on the Saints beat, on the Bengals beat, and now back on the Saints beat. Uh, look, people are expecting, I, I think, uh, just out of habit, oh, as soon as training camp opens, practices are going to happen. Uh, that's not the case. Why don't you let our listeners know, if they haven't realized by now, just what the structure of this training camp is going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be different. And I also kind of wanted to add to what Jeff was saying about the hotel. I had heard that was a possible plan um, at the beginning of the month. And, you know, of course, uh, my first question was, well, are players going to agree to be sequesters in a, sequestered in a hotel for several weeks away from their families and whatnot. And basically I was just told if the leaders of the locker room say yes, because we just told them like, this is our shot. We have a real shot here to win a championship. So everyone's got to be all in. And that's going to be so key down the line when players have the choice to, you know, stay at home or maybe be tempted to go out. But, you know, obviously as Jeff said, they're not, they're not going to do that now, but Back to training camp, I mean, they're not even going to have padded practices until I think the middle of August. 
I think that they have they have they basically the first week they come in they're going to do their tests. I think they have to test negative three times in four days. Originally it was two. I think it went to three. So they're going to do that. Then they basically go to doing conditioning work, and it's basically called the ramp up period. So the next few weeks, as excited as we are about training camps opening, are actually going to be pretty boring. You know, you're going to do your physicals, you're going to do your conditioning. They just don't want to throw the players into training camp like you would normally without the entire summer of ramping up, um, getting to NFL shape behind them. So definitely be different, and we won't actually have much to report, I don't think, for another two weeks probably. Yeah, it sounds like the only reporting we would be doing is if someone were to be put on the reserve list because there is a reserve list for those who are either – Uh, contracted COVID-19 or been around someone who has and there's no specifying on the NFL's list they're not required to uh, let the public know if the player actually has tested it it's up to the player if they want to come out publicly and say they have they can but uh, those who are either uh, have been near someone or have actually gotten Uh, coronavirus would be put on this list and had to go through another battery of tests. And so, look, it's something that we're seeing in Major League Baseball uh, as we're recording uh, more our own Ken Rosenthal reporting that four more people from the Marlins have tested positive, jumping that number up to 18. And so it is certainly something that is on the forefront of everyone's minds as we're moving forward. And look, to me, I'm just curious uh, look, Jeff, you, you said that the Saints don't expect anyone to do it, but, I mean, someone can change their minds. I'm sure someone can change their minds uh, within two days of being here and something happens and they don't want to do it. So, look, this is something that I feel like these pay- players jumping on uh, and po- potentially opting out and receiving a portion of their salary uh that this could this isn't going to be day one of that. I think that you could see this depending on circumstances where a player can unexpectedly kind of say, nope, I'm out and going to sit the season out. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And there was genuine concerns from many of the players about the hotel setup because obviously when you run a hotel, you're going to have all kinds of staff there uh, at the hotel, cleaning staff, uh, you know, administrators, and players want to know about, are those people going to be tested? What are the standards of the hotel? It opens up a real can of worms. And there was legitimate concerns from everyone involved about that. Of course, the football operations staff had crossed that bridge a long time ago and uh, had, had laid out a pretty thorough plan. Uh, but I would say this, dovetailing off what uh, Catherine said, a lot of the players, the, the, the reason they were balking at this setup was because of the, the uh, unique structure of the early weeks of this camp. For instance, right now, the players that were rookies reported, they report got tested uh, on Sunday or Monday, and then basically they had to stay in their rooms the entire time, and they're going to do that for the next three or four days until they can actually pass their test, assuming they come back with negative tests. Then they can start being integrated into the rest of the team, and a lot of players – just didn't want to be sitting around in a room. There's going to be no interaction. Like the team wanted to set up sort of like a recreation area in the lobby of the hotel and have ping pong tables and pool tables and things for them to interact. The NFL balked at that, wouldn't let them do that. So I think each one of them said, well, you know what, if we're going to do this early in camp, we're not even going to be on the field. 
let me just stay at an apartment somewhere uh, at my house where I'm more comfortable sitting around than in some foreign hotel room uh, if I'm just going to be sitting in a room. And that made a lot of sense to me. Now, what might happen is the team captains have discussed getting back together once the real camp starts in mid-August when, when they actually start taking to the field. Maybe everybody creating this bubble-like environment again and everyone reporting to the hotel for the three weeks as they ramp up preparations for Tampa Bay and the start of the regular season. That at least is on the table. I'd be surprised if they get halfway through camp and they're able to pull that off, especially from a football operations standpoint. I don't know how they get the block of rooms reserved again at that late juncture. So, But it's still fluid. It just shows you how unprecedented this situation is. These these things are still being discussed at this late late juncture. Uh, and everyone's going to have to be flexible here. Uh, it's just the way it's going to be. And a player can complain about having to sit in their room uh, for four days, uh, especially a rookie. Well, guess what? A rookie doesn't have a job anywhere else. This is their job. So if you've got to do that, you got to do that. I, you know, I don't know what, what else uh, these players expect to do. Uh, look, I understand the apartment. I get that. And yet, uh, look, we've seen even people in the NBA – leave the bubble. Look, I'm, I'm a tennis junkie. I wouldn't, I, there was someone in the world team tennis at the Greenbrier, coincidentally, uh, if, if uh, folks are not familiar with what they've been doing, they've been in a bubble for two weeks playing world team tennis at the Greenbrier. And uh, someone who was really out in front of chastising uh, Novak Djokovic a few weeks ago for having like this open free tournament and then he got COVID and a bunch of other people got COVID. She left the bubble and got thrown out. So look, uh, you know, I, look, it's this is just the nature of sports right now. And look, uh, Catherine, I, I just don't know. Uh, it's going to be bizarre, but if you want to play, this is the way you've got to at least try. You've got to be as restrictive as you possibly can to get on the field and actually have a season. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And when I was discussing with someone about the possibility of the hotel, that was before they'd established how training camp was actually going to go. So it kind of makes sense as what Jeff is saying when they did balk at it. But the overall point does stand that you know, if the Saints really think they have a true shot, one shot this year to win a championship, then they just have to get everyone on board with, hey, this year is going, it's going to suck. You're going to have a lot of restrictions on your life. You normally wouldn't. But, you know, we've all got to be all in as a team because it only takes one person to, as you said, to break the bubble and, and ruin it for everyone. So, I mean, that's definitely hard when you're talking about 60 ish guys with varying ages personalities i mean you know a guy like demario davis is going to have no problem following these protocols but what about a 20 year old on the roster so i mean it's it's going to be interesting to to see how that plays out and if someone does you know violate that trust and break protocol how they deal with it in the locker room and that that'll be one of the things to watch as hopefully camp and then the season plays out over the next five or so months all right well we have all of these unusual issues for the Saints and really everyone else in the NFL going through training camp. Why don't we spin it to some on-the-field discussions? Look, uh, Catherine and I had a lively debate of our 53-man projection leading up into training camp, and it's funny that we had some differences. I think it was five or six position groups, which – 
look, it, that's I feel like that's a lot for a roster that's uh, pretty much set. But a lot of that was back of the roster, interesting scenarios. Uh, so, Jeff, what is in your mind the storyline when you go out to practice mid-August, whether it's the OTA version, which is I think starting maybe August twelfth, or the or a, a ramped up version starting August 17th. What is the primary storyline within this team that you are looking for and going to be focusing on the most this offseason? Well, there's a couple things, um, not to hedge on that, but obviously you, you just you all did. Alluded, you just hedged. I know. Well, you all alluded to it in your, in your uh, roster projections. Uh, I think because of the unusual nature of this camp, no preseason games, and not only that, but coupled with the fact that this is a veteran team that's stacked roster-wise. I mean, I think it, the, the days, this camp especially, it's going to be very difficult for one of these undrafted rookies to make the roster. More than ever, uh, not just because there's no preseason games, but also because the team is kind of set. And I don't know if we'll, we'll ask Mickey Loomis this uh, when we get him on a conference call this week, uh, but I wonder if, if they – establish that uh you know when they talk the brain trust uh this team is just so loaded uh, let's get it locked in and uh you know the the chances of look someone could make the roster a joe Bashi or somebody like that could make it but i really think uh you know the chris ivory pierre thomas's of the world uh it's going to be difficult uh because they don't have the opportunity uh potentially in these scrimmages that, against another team or a preseason game and the fact that this team is stacked. And then the other thing I want to see is just how much carryover, if at all, there's going to be with the Drew Brees situation. Um, I don't think there's going to be any. I think Brees has handled that right away. The whole team, the captains of this team handled it. Uh, but that is definitely going to be, as you and I discussed, a storyline from the national media, at least early in this season, and I'm interested to see how the team addresses it uh, early on or if they even address it at all. They may just completely bury it and, and consider that a distraction that they don't want to talk about. But you know Drew's going to get asked about it the first time he uh, meets with us on a conference call. Well, and he has to. Uh, he has not addressed it to the media at all since all of this has gone down. He's gone to social media. So that has to be asked. And it's a question, even though it might not say even, like on our – our three minds, uh, because we've gone over and again and again and again this offseason in Catherine. But look, you know the public is still, this is still a huge hot-button topic for people. And, and we could say, oh, it's a national storyline. But people in this town, it is a very uh, one side or the other situation with Drew Brees. Maybe you have some people, some fans in the middle. But, you know, Drew Brees is kind of, backed himself into a corner where he could say here are my kids we're fishing and people will go on social media and just rip him and it could be one side or the other so like you know I, I this is still uh maybe not as much in the locker room but look the public surface I still think it's it's a topic that the more we're talking about Drew Brees and this that and the other that this is a topic that uh will be in the discussion uh, maybe not internally, but externally with fans, I think it'll still exist. Yeah, look, I, I think this camp is going to be like, un, unlike anything we've ever seen. Normally, we would be able to work the locker room or you know, at least outside the locker room, talk to players and coaches. As media members, 
we are going to be faced with just a, kind of a, a hand-selected group of players to talk to, maybe some coaches uh, each day via, uh, via video Zoom call. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to be even a subject of uh, discussion uh, in the local media, but I think at some point, once the games start, that's certainly going to be an issue. I mean, it was just too, it was a huge story. And we saw yesterday's news about Drew and Brittany giving money uh, to the local community as well as uh, uh, some other areas. But I think that's just another uh, course of action for Drew. And I wasn't surprised to see him do that. Yeah. Be- Catherine, what are your thoughts on all this? <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say, to be fair, I don't, we don't really get to go in the locker room at training camp anyway, right? So it won't be that much different except that we won't get to be around the players. We'll probably be doing Zoom calls with them. I may be able to do in-person interviews with selected coaches. Um, I'm not sure. Y'all would be able to chime in more on that. But usually I think we get players at the podium, right? Or in a, the old right. world. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you know how I, it is. I get usually what you're saying, totally. like five or six players out there talking to other people, and you can roam around and get them outside right. the locker room. It's, yeah, be, we're not going to have any of that opportunity weird. to get them. Yeah, to the to the other yep. point, I I really don't know what how it'll go in the locker room. Everyone asks that, but as Jeff said, you know we haven't been able to just go and talk to players and, and get their opinions, other than a few maybe phone calls or texts here and there. I think that when camp starts, there will be other things on everyone's mind, really just all based around this virus and how they're going to hold training camp and how we're going to get through it. I don't think that it doesn't mean it's not going to come up, but initially, since they already did address it in a team meeting, I don't think it's going to be a topic at the forefront of their minds. But I do think it it will maybe linger throughout the season. I mean, that's not the kind of thing that goes away, but there's so many other things kind of occupying people's headspace right now that I don't think that it's going to be a cause of, of tension when they finally do see each other as a team in a few weeks. As far as outside of the Drew Brees situation, uh, on the field, uh, Jeff, you mentioned undrafted rookies and such. uh, And yet, look, to me, if I walk into practice day one, I am looking squarely at the offensive line. I want to know where Eric McCoy is. I want to know where Cesar Ruiz is. And uh, I understand the argument that, okay, Eric McCoy played center last year. It's hard to acclimate. Uh, a rookie center, especially given the lack of reps that Ruiz is going to have had uh, with the first team at center. And I'm going to be looking squarely at that just because I've done so much research this offseason and talked to so many people about that middle of the offensive line that, look, that part of the team was shaky last year. It blew up in their face in the most inopportune time against the Vikings last year where they were really exposed. Look, they, actually the tackles had a rough day that day, but the interior of the offensive line uh, really struggled, and it wasn't just that game. So if I'm looking day one, practice one, I want to see who's playing where and how much they rotate and how well they can perform. Yeah, there's no doubt all eyes are going to be on that position. And look, I get it. If I'm the Saints, uh, a lot of people would say, well, you don't want to move Ruiz to guard. Uh, especially the way McCoy played so well last year. But if if you think long-term that McCoy's going to be a better guard and Ruiz is going to be your eventual center, then you might as well just go ahead and do it right now. That's the way I look at it. If, if, 
uh, let's let's just get the transition started now. Otherwise, you're going to maybe have to do it next season. So I, I would think that Ruiz seems like a better fit at center, but I think they're going to find out during camp. And, and the other area I'm going to be looking at, and this is no surprise, I think all of us will be trying to uh, examine this area, but, you know, how's Marcus Davenport look? How does Sheldon Rankins look? Uh, to me, the other side of the ball, that, that defensive line is a real area of concern because you've got two key players that you're counting on uh, that are coming off significant injuries, and Sheldon did not look like the same player when he came back from injury last year. And Davenport, so much is on the line for him uh, this season, I think. Year three, I mean, Sean Payton always says, I mean, this is you are who you are in year three in the NFL for the most part. Uh, I think it's a huge year for him. We all know he's got this great potential. I have heard uh, through the grapevine that he's in unbelievable shape. Now, we all know. We've all seen him. I mean, he, he is an incredible physical specimen anyway, but I heard he's really put on some good weight this offseason, bulked up. I think he knows this is a big year, and that could be an encouraging sign for somebody that uh, they're counting on, I think, to supply some pass rush along with Rankin's uh, opposite uh, Cam Jordan. So that's, that's an area. Both both lines are going to be areas I'm watching. Yeah, and just to kind of – before we get uh, Catherine's thoughts, look, look, Eric McCoy, people say, okay, he did, a, he did a really good job last year, this, that, and the other. And so I look at it, and when I did my research on the offensive line, and I have a story about the last two years of offensive line play uh, that I did a couple weeks ago at The Athletic, and – Look, Eric McCoy, he was basically a middle-of-the-road center. When you look at uh, statistical looks from Sports Info Solutions, they do blown blocks and block percentages. And McCoy was basically middle-of-the-pack in the pros. And if you looked at his numbers, his numbers were worse than Max Unger's worst year with the Mm -hmm. Saints. Is that good enough? Probably not. And so I feel like that's one area why they feel like, well, maybe if they take McCoy away. And look, Larry Warford was really bad last year. Andres Peach struggled mightily last year. He took a big step back. They assume it's injury-laden. But look, that's probably another reason why, okay, we could say McCoy did pretty well, but he was middle of the road. They expect better than middle of the road up front given uh, the, the the great center play they've had for so long and you also look at it where Eric McCoy, he was number two in the league at center, most penalized. The, Max Unger never got penalized, like ever. He went years without a penalty. So I think that's probably part of their logic there uh, as far as that. But Catherine, let's spin it to back to what Jeff was saying. Marcus Davenport, Sheldon Rankins. Uh, we know when Sheldon is right, he can play well. Uh, and when Marcus is right, we can play well. He can play well. But look, those are and and to me, and I feel like you and me have discussed this uh, off the air that so much is put on Marcus Davenport. But I don't understand why more people aren't really hammering down on Sheldon Rankins. Uh, he's four years in and has done less really than I'd say Marcus Davenport has done. I feel like fans, their their views are a little clouded on, on those two guys. Well, you know how that goes when the team gives up something to, to trade up in the draft for a player. Then all of a sudden, your status is so heightened. If you don't live up to people's expectations, they just 
hammer you about it. It's all about draft status. It's kind of crazy, but man, how many times have you heard they gave up two first rounders for Davenport? He should be better. And yes, Sheldon was a first rounder, but I don't know. Maybe it's just a long time ago, so people excuse it because of the injuries. But I think Sheldon would be the first one to tell you, no, I, I'm not where I, I was uh, well, now two years ago. When he came back, he said, no, I'm not the same guy right now. I mean, I'm not going to be for a while, but hopefully in the future I can get back to that because it does take a full year after Achilles injury like that to get back to where you were if you can. And he's a big guy, so maybe he never will. But, I mean, it's a big year for him. Just like you said, it's a big year for Davenport. If Rankins can't take that next step, he's not going to be on the team next year. He's making a lot of money this year on his fifth-year option. So he's going to be an important piece because what he does helps Cam Jordan. I think when Rankins was playing well, his presence can help Cam Jordan get more sacks. So, I mean, that's they all, they all matter, but I really do think it's important that Rankins gets back to some semblance of its old self, really for the benefit of the entire line. I, I don't know what you think, but I, I think that's kind of one of the key things there. Pass rush is kind of strange to me. I don't know how you all feel about it, but it's such an important area, especially this year, right, coming in with the, the lineup of quarterbacks they're going to face, guys, smart quarterbacks like Tom Brady who can get the ball out quick, have that incredible fleet of receivers in Tampa, and Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Jimmy Garoppolo, and I can go down the list. But uh, they didn't play a lot of elite quarterbacks last year. This year they're going to face maybe the the most uh, talented group of quarterbacks they've ever faced. So I think the pass rush has has got to be there. And even though the Saints were one of the top sack teams in the league, they had some games where it did disappear. And I think that's the concern. It wasn't really consistent. There were games where they really got after quarterbacks, and there were games where – there was just no rush at all, and they got lit up. And I know that's the NFL. Uh, it kind of goes that way. But I think that area is something that uh, they're gonna, Dennis Allen and Ryan Nielsen and the, the defensive line coaches are going to focus on because they can't afford to let these, these level quarterbacks sit back there. No matter how good your secondary is, you're going to, um, you're going to get lit up in this day and age the way the, way the pass, passing rules are in the NFL. So I'm, I want to throw it out to you all. At this point, like, what's an area of concern? If I had to say pass rush just because of the question marks with Davenport and Rankins, what areas are you all most concerned with on this team? A linebacker, possibly. Just because I think Why is that? I, I think there's a lot of unknowns there. I mean, yes, really, you only need two really good linebackers based on how much they play nickel. But I mean, Alex Anzalone's only had one season where he played a full season, basically, right? And then Kiko Alonso did play well at times, but you know he got injured twice at the end of the season. He's coming off an ACL tear, and that's his third ACL issue in his career. So I don't know what's going to happen with him. Then they drafted Bond, but their history of drafting linebackers is not great. And so we're wondering, well, how does Bond fit in? And I know they're really excited about him, but I kind of, with him, I'll believe it when I see it. And then, you know, Craig Robertson is, is a great special teams player, but you don't want him playing linebacker full time. So if they're all healthy, then they'll be just fine. I mean, obviously there's no problems with DeMario Davis, but I just think that position has a lot of questions and you are really relying on some of these guys that have had injury issues in the past to stay healthy. Larry? Yeah, and I think that uh, – the and Jeff is not a linebacker guy. He's a, he's established that very much so <laughs> on this podcast. He is 
anti-linebacker. He, he's like, oh, if they have like a half of one, they'll be good. But no, <laughs> I think that if the Saints knew, if they had a, a great, solid, concrete plan for their second linebacker, I don't think uh, I'd be harping on it as much. But uh, as Catherine laid out, they don't because they have issues there. So, like, But also, uh, if they had to worst comes to worst comes to worst, had to kind of cover that, uh, they could probably put Malcolm Jenkins as a kind of a pseudo linebacker there. They're going to try to try to play C.J. Gardner-Johnson a lot uh, if you have to play him at more of a, a true safety and then have a nickel corner. And, and Malcolm in passing situations is kind of a pseudo linebacker. They could probably get away with doing that. But look, I think my wonderment, I don't know if it's a concern, but my it's more about my wonderment, is Alvin Kamara. Is he going to be the same guy we saw in years one and two and shake his injuries and quote-unquote downplay, even though he was still a good player? Uh, But he wasn't the superstar he was those first two years. And I'm not even talking, all right, this is because of a contract. But look, the Saints need him. And people want to discard Alvin Kamara a lot and say, oh, well, they can go find someone else, this, that, and the other. Who was that guy after Darren Sproles was traded in 2013? <laughs> they didn't Spiller. have one. Yeah, C.J. Spiller, <laughs> Traveris Cadet. He had that one good game, right, Spiller? <laughs> yeah, yeah. One yeah he had that one good catch. One catch, <laughs> that, that was it. catch, and then it was all downhill from there. Yeah, so they, they went four years without a Sproles, Reggie Bush type. And once they got one in in Alvin Kamara, the offense and the team played better. I mean, it's just to me, I my wonderment there, uh, I guess contract related a little bit, but, I, but I, people want to discard him. I'm like, that's ridiculous. No, you can't do that. He is uh, an important cog to this team and something I feel like I'm going to be curious to watch uh, more about in season because it's not like he's going to really need the work per se in the off season. So uh, halfway done this podcast, back half we'll talk some more Saints issues heading into training camp, and uh, please be joined by Jeff Duncan and our special guest Catherine Terrell. I'm Larry Holder here on the Duncan Holder podcast, and look, most of our listeners are in and around New Orleans. And what better way to promote your business than through this show? Our listeners are loyal and engaged just like you. And businesses, why not jump aboard and get advertising on your favorite podcast? So to advertise, just go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. That's theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There are certain times when you don't have to go to the doctor's office to get help for a medical condition. If you're dealing with a condition like ED, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust 
your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel at any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, back here on the Duncan Holder podcast, Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan, Catherine Terrell here as we're going through the on the field question marks during this training camp. And Jeff, uh, you posed uh, leading up to this pod an interesting question that uh, I feel like could go in a variety of different directions. And this question is an aerial on the team that can least afford injuries. And I feel like in years back, we would say Drew Brees in the quarterback position. Last year proved that they could absorb it with the right backup situation. So, Jeff and Catherine, uh, which positions can the Saints least afford an injury? Well, look, I'd say this. You know, the Saints have so many elite players I think more than they've ever had. I think you could count maybe seven guys that are truly uh, elite at their positions. If they lose any one of those, there's a huge drop-off, right? Uh, You know, if Mike Thomas goes down, that's bad news. Now, the Saints' offense is so uh, versatile and diverse, uh, they can kind of compensate. We saw that last year when Breeze went down. Uh, But if they lose a key guy like that, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, if he goes down, uh, I think they have a huge drop-off, and that's a concern. But I guess the secondary would be the area I would be most concerned just because that while they have some good veteran depth there and they've shown in the past uh, that they can survive without it, uh, once you get past uh, Lattimore or even Janoris Jenkins, who's in his early 30s, and I, I think there's some concern there in my mind that we've all seen it. Guys drop off pretty quick at that position. It happens – almost overnight. Uh, everyone's counting on Jenkins to be an upgrade over Eli Apple. I don't think uh, that's a big stretch right there. He certainly played better once he got on the team. But if they lose either one of those starting corners, who's outside, right? I mean, who? the fact is P.J. Williams and Patrick Robinson played a lot of football in this league, but they're not truly outside corners. So I guess that's the area. And, and look, Catherine talked about linebacker earlier. I think that's a good point. I mean, there's not a, they've got two guys there with – huge injury histories uh, that they're counting on. And after that, there's not a lot of experience. Yeah, I mean, linebacker is probably what I would say, again, just based on watching a linebacker play at the end of the season when everyone's hurt. I mean, any team's going to have that problem. But, man, that was that was hard to watch when you're watching Craig Robertson and, uh, man, uh, Manti Teo and just whoever they were signing off the street to play linebacker. But – you know, that injury, I mean, that position was kind of decimated. But, yeah, I'd have to agree with Jeff. He makes a great point about defensive backs. I mean, at the top, they're pretty good. But once you get down to, like, that third guy, oof, that could be rough. But, I mean, other than that, Larry, you probably think – maybe you think differently. But most positions, they're actually pretty well stocked, except maybe offensive line. If any of their key guys gets hurt, I mean, that's going to be a problem. But, again, any team would have that problem if you're – Backup linemen are so great, they'd be starting somewhere. So you're never going to have really spectacular backups across the board uh, on the offensive line. Is it weird that I'm going to go back on what I said earlier and say if Drew Brees were to go down, they'd be in big trouble? Because (laughs) 
I don't trust Jameis Winston to take care of the football like Teddy Bridgewater did last year. Good point. Uh, I feel like that you have a quarterback that will not have been in the system because in my mind, and if you guys disagree, let me know. Look, Jameis Winston is the number two guy. Uh, I don't think it's a race. It's his job. Taysom Hill, it allows him to be Taysom Hill. Uh, because when we saw Drew Brees go down, Taysom Hill was certainly scaled back a ton uh, because he was the backup in case something happened to Teddy Bridgewater. But I think the Saints would be in way more trouble right now. And I'm not – part of it is I'm bagging on Jameis Winston. He's certainly careless with the football. Uh, you know, he had one of the highest interception uh, stats uh, in single season in the history of the league. But – he has not been on the field with this offense at all, period, zero. And I think it would be a much scarier proposition to have Drew Brees go down in this juncture than a year ago when Teddy was within the system. He is someone that knew the offense, gone through it in training camp and practices for over a year, and someone who does not put the football out there, throw wild passes, take chances. Uh, he was someone that Sean Payton could work around. You know, who you don't know how Jameis Winston would react if he says, "Oh, well, you know what? I'm going to take a chance on this play." It turns into an interception. Defense is back on the field. So, I'm going with Drew Brees still for a different, different, uh, different thought process there. What, what do you all – and I think that's a great point because I, I think Jameis is going to be the greatest case study of the Sean Payton tenure. You know, this is a guy that uh, was the number one pick in the draft and has gone through a lot of different coaches down there in Tampa, not just Bruce Arians and Dirk Cutter, but he's also had different offensive coordinators. He's not been able to shake the interception bug. I know the Saints – think they can be the ones to do that. I'm not convinced at all. I think you are what you are. Uh, you know, he at this point has established that he can't make smart decisions when the bullets are flying. And that's that's what Drew Brees is so great at. And that I know coaches like to think they can make a difference. Uh, I just, I don't buy it. I, I think those guys probably did everything they could in, in Tampa. I heard over and over last year Bruce Arians saying, Check down is good. Check down is good. And Jameis just continued to throw into coverage and cost the team's game all the way up to the very last game of the season. He, he cost them their chance to win that game and finish 8-8. Eight and eight. So I'm with you on that. I, I think the drop-off from Teddy Bridgewater to Jameis Winston for this team is pretty drastic. Now, I'm curious. Catherine made a great point earlier. I think this team doesn't have very many really true weak spots. I mean, this is a team that you, you don't really have – very many areas concerned. They've done a good job, I think, of establishing some depth. But uh, what do you all think is potentially a, a long shot player that could make this roster? One, to make, uh, let, let's make it a two part question: a long shot to make the roster, and also a potential surprise roster cut. So you've got kind of two surprises there: someone that might make the team that you're not thinking of, and someone uh, that might get cut that maybe our listeners are not thinking of. Let's start with you, Catherine. Um, well, I'm going to go off Larry and I's discussion on our 53-man roster projections the other day. The one we both agreed on was an undrafted guy, uh, Calvin Throckmorton. And I say that even though I've been harping on the fact that it's going to be really hard for undrafted guys to make the roster. I think with him, 
there's two things that go in his favor. One, they obviously like him a lot. They gave him $100,000 to sign. And in terms of money, that doesn't mean much, but it does show that out of the group of undrafted guys, he was on the top of their list. Maybe even if things had gone differently, would have been a guy they drafted if they had more picks. And he's also working out with Toronto Armstead in Texas, which is obviously good for him. They kind of are going to know him better than a few of the other rookies when they show up. So I do think maybe he can latch on as one of the last linemen. And then the one Larry and I differed on that kind of surprised him to not make the roster was Ty Montgomery. Now, I, I could throw out Kiko Alonso, but that's kind of cheating because he's injured. I don't necessarily think that Ty Montgomery won't make it. I'm just not in the camp of everyone else saying, oh, this is a name guy who did a few good, a few good things last year, so he's definitely going to make the roster. I think he and uh, Dwayne Washington are, are going to have to fight out that spot, and it could come down to what they do on special teams. But, hey, I'm I'm happy to be wrong in a few weeks if uh, it comes to that. Hey, look, I well, agree 100%. That's who I actually would have said too, so – we're in agreement on that. I think I think everyone gets caught up sometimes with the name player and they forget that Ty Montgomery's already bounced around right. two or three different teams and no one he hasn't stuck with anyone so far. So I agree with that. Sir Lawrence, what about you, bud? My argument against y'all's anti Ty Montgomery uh, uh, thought <laughs> process Exactly. Well, that's all right. I'm going to hate. I'm going to hate on someone, I guess, quote unquote, in in a second. So bear with me here. But uh, as far as Ty Montgomery, they added him because they had no one who could anywhere close replicate Alvin Kamara when he was injured last year. And Ty Montgomery, he doesn't have to see a ton of snaps, uh, but he could be, if Kamara were something to happen to him, you could at least plug him and he could be an Alvin Kamara type player within the offense. I'm not saying it's Alvin Kamara, but, but Alvin Kamara, meh, meh, maybe, maybe Wayne, a poor man's Alvin Kamara. Yeah, that's a good term. I'd rather have a poor man's Alvin Kamara than a, 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 of open space with no one to fill that in. So, well, yeah, look, uh, I think it comes down to special teams, though, right? And and Dwayne Washington. Well, he would be say like a backup returner well. to Deontay uh, Harris. Uh, he because right. that's what he played with the Jets. He really did not have a role with the offense uh, much last year. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, but yeah, so that's where I feel like they're going with Ty Montgomery. Uh, and actually, on my my fifty three, I had four tailbacks make the roster. I had Dwayne Washington because he played like 65% of the special team snaps. Like, you can't replicate that. I mean, he's on there because of that. And so, but my surprise to make the roster, we, Jeff, you mentioned him earlier, and it's on the undrafted train, and that's Joe Bocci. He is the other player that got six-figure signing bonus to get with the Saints. And they've had a history of keeping some of those no almost no-name linebackers, undrafted linebackers uh, on the roster. And there are a lot of question marks around that position. So Bocce, I feel like, could be a guy that could lack on. But my, my maybe surprise veteran that could miss the roster, and it goes along with linebackers, Craig Robertson. Uh, they signed Anthony Ciccolo. And this is actually something Catherine brought up in our uh, 53-man uh, discussion and I she brought him up and I said oh my gosh he does play a ton of special teams and look if he's a younger better Craig Robertson 
then maybe you move on there, even though Craig Robertson is a really respected guy in the locker room. So I'm going Bocce, and I'm going Craig Robertson as maybe a surprise cut. I'll give you another name. Catherine, you covered this guy, Marcus Hunt. Yeah. He's got a little bit of a name, obviously. I could see him not making this team. I mean, they've got so many good, young defensive tackles, Shy Tuttle, Taylor Stallworth. Uh, you know, they may look at him and say, well, you know what, he's not – marginally that much better than these young guys who are a little bit cheaper. And let's face it, they're stacked at defensive tackle. I mean, David Onyemata, Sheldon Rankins, Malcolm Brown, there's there's a three-man rotation right there. How does Hunt get into that rotation over Tuttle and Stallworth? It may just come down to a numbers game. It's really not a reflection on his ability, but I could see him getting cut even though that's not a huge, huge name. At least he's a veteran that, that might not make this roster. I'm sorry, Catherine. Yeah, I think the Bengals, we're talking about how the Saints think they can fix James Winston. I, it, teams always think they're smarter than everyone else. Oh, well, I can fix that team's problem. I think the Bengals maybe thought they were smarter than everyone else when they, you know, got Hunt, this like six foot eight guy. He's, you know, his background is, is, is in track uh, where he used to do track and field in Estonia. And so they get him in there and he's their second round pick and, he just didn't do much. He was just kind of there. And it wasn't until he went to Indianapolis that he finally kind of excelled as a pass rusher for about a year. And everyone thought, oh, well, he finally figured it out once he got away from Cincinnati. And I don't know, maybe he's just a guy that is there. He's an okay backup, but he, he doesn't do much outside of that, at least not consistently. I will say on he's an interesting guy to have on special teams because he's so tall that he can block a ton of kicks. I mean, he broke a school record at SMU for blocked kicks. So he has ability outside of just being a rotational guy. But, yeah, I mean, I, I have him on 53, but I wouldn't say he's any sort of lock to make the roster. But he is an interesting guy to watch in training camp, for sure. Yeah, quick note on him that I feel like it comes down to Hunt and Mario Edwards. I mean, we never – talk about Mario Edwards right. and he was a veteran on the team last year was on the team the whole time so you know if they're gonna have a veteran guy who could play inside and outside uh which they, the Saints don't have a lot of and Edwards was kind of that guy I think it's between those two for that roster spot and Jeff you mentioned uh and we all mentioned how training camp it's gonna be hard for some of these undrafted guys look Taylor Stallworth needed a whole camp and good preseason games to get on the roster. Shy Tuttle needed the same thing. Any of these young guys in the interior, when you need to smash someone in a game, you're not going to have any of those opportunities this offseason. So if there's ever an offseason where an undrafted interior off- uh, defensive lineman doesn't make a team, it's now. And it's really unfortunate because you know the Saints have done it for the last two years, found guys that they've really liked in that route. Yeah, but, you know, I would say this. Sometimes I think some of that is a little overplayed, and I don't want to discount it, but I distinctly remember Shy Tuttle, before they even started playing preseason games, was already starting to get reps with the twos. And that's when it stood out to me was, who's this 99 guy? I remember we were all standing on the sidelines, you know, in that unrelenting heat and humidity, and I'm like, who's this dude? And no one was talking about him early on, nobody. And so he had done something – in on tape that the coaches had seen and he was already starting to move up the depth chart so yes games matter yes when they're under the bright lights some players can perform some guys can't 
But there's also a lot of evaluation going on in those workouts that players, I mean, the coaches will see and you can make an impression. And they're going to have to because they're not going to have that opportunity. Uh, let me let me throw out one more thing to you all. Um, the, the, the position battle to watch, I, I'm going to steal the one that's the most obvious, but I want to get your all's thoughts on it. And I think it's kind of a niche position, but I think the nickelback spot is going to be really fascinating because I think they've got so many candidates there. But, Larry, you identified this guy earlier this uh, summer in our athletic kind of survey of breakout players. And I think Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a potential breakout player on this team. Uh, I think he's going to end up being the guy out there. Uh, I think they're going to have a little bit of a revamped secondary. When you really look at it, uh, the, the, the group that started the year last year, you could have three new guys in the, the, the five – uh, nickel package with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Malcolm Jenkins, and Janoris Jenkins, all three uh, being newcomers compared to who started the season last year against the Houston Texans. And I think Gardner-Johnson's going to get the first call because I think if you really look and dive into the analytics on P.J. Williams, his coverage numbers are not good. I mean, they are way down the list, and I think teams picked on him. I mean, the season ended, frankly, with him trying to defend uh, Kyle Rudolph uh, in the end zone, and the, the Vikings picked on him there. That position is one I'm going to watch, the nickelback spot, because it's basically a starting spot. Uh, let's start with you, Larry. What what are you going to be watching? Thomas Morstead versus Blake Gillikin. Huge yeah, me camp too. battle. That is the hugest <laughs> – that's the biggest camp battle since my long snapper panic of, of uh, 2017 when they went through like five long snappers. Um, but, no, obviously I'm joking. But – or maybe I'm not. But anyway, I think it. Uh, look, we're talking nickel corner. I mean, that, that's and I already jumped on the uh, the interior offensive line. Uh, but you know, that's a matter of who plays which spot. It's not like I expect Ruiz or McCoy to lose a, a starting job. So you know, that's that's something where uh, you know I'm 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 not worried about. But it's not all right. This isn't necessarily a position battle, but. I want to see how much Adam Troutman gets in, and he it's I'm because I've likened the pick a lot to when the Saints drafted Jimmy Graham in 2010, third round pick, so same round. Uh, you know, a little bit of a, a, a fun, like wild backstory. Jimmy Graham played basketball. Adam Troutman went to Dayton and was started as a quarterback, and then became this uh, great tight end, but. Jimmy Graham started seeing playing time a good bit later in that season, and I'm wondering how much Troutman gets in, especially, uh, look, you're going to use Jared Cook a lot this year still, but it's the last year of his deal, and I'm wondering how much Troutman can get in, again, uh, given the unprecedented circumstances of not really having a lot of field time. What about you, Catherine? Yeah, I think the thing with Troutman is is going to be really interesting to watch I'm kind of wondering if all the excitement about him is going to be overblown purely because he's going to be so raw and didn't have an entire summer. And so how much can he really realistically contribute early unless he's everything the Saints think he is? Um, Other than that, I, I think I always enjoy watching the wide receiver battle. I mean, I know obviously the top two are, are known names and I, I'm wondering if, if to have, as Jeff said, 
if the undrafted thing is going to be overblown this year and one of these undrafted guys does make the roster. I'm really interested in some of them. Emmanuel Butler last year was the training camp star we have every year and didn't really show up in the preseason and didn't make the team. So what happens with him? And then uh, there's a couple of guys they're bringing in this year that are interesting, like Marquez Marquez Callaway. I mean, does he even have a shot now? I I don't know. I I just want to – I'm interested at how the preseason and or lack thereof really changes things because we talked to these guys like Dwayne Washington last year who told me shorter preseason would be bad for a guy like me. Well, okay, now here it is. There's no preseason. How does this change things going forward for the NFL and kind of the, the future of not only these these guys making the team this year, but how they look at the preseason in the future? And I know I'm kind of getting deep into it, but um, I, I do think it. It's just one of the things that intrigues me this year. Yeah, you know, I think that receiver group is uh, one that, let's face it, I mean, once you get past the known quantities there, those those top three or four guys, it's wide. Really, like top two. And, and, you know, Trey yeah, Smith I mean, is, has well, I mean, stepped up yet? How we how we've expected? He's still going to make the team, I would think. But yeah, I know. But I mean, I, I'm including Deontay right. Harris in there just as a, a guy that I think is going to be. And Larry, you had Creshawn Hogan on there. I think that was a very savvy move. I think sometimes people overlook guys like that, but he has a very, uh, you know, identifiable trait, and that is he can block. He's a great blocker, and and when you get down to that level on the depth chart, you got to bring something to the table, uh, and that's where Hogan and guys like Austin Carr make the roster because they can do something that maybe these other players can't, and at that phase of the depth chart, you, you know, you got to have something that you can contribute to on game days or you're not going to be uh, on the active roster. So I thought that was a savvy, once again, Sir Lawrence with a savvy move. Ah, yes. And on that, I will give the last word since uh, Danielle's like, oh my gosh, we're talking about Christian Hogan. <laughs> uh, she's probably like, who who in the world is that? But no, I think uh, as far as wide receiver, you can hide guys way better this year than ever. Because you don't have preseason games, and uh, and and in in turn, you want to keep the guys that you know, like a Krishan Hogan. They know what his strength is, and they can have him just play right away. You know, it, 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 teams I feel like are going to be less apt to burn a roster spot on someone they still have uh, don't have a full grasp over, and. Uh, I went very veteran-laden of names that aren't wowing people on my 53-man roster, but they know who they are and what type of player they are. And uh, you know, It's more than ever that I feel like teams are going to lean on that. So I want to thank everyone for jumping on the version of the Duncan Holder podcast. Catherine, really appreciate your uh, knowledge and wit and sometimes snark. We need that wit. in our life. Thanks for jumping wit. on. Yeah, I didn't hear yes, have, I even said wit. Have wit? Aw, like the nicest thing you've ever said See? to me. Wow, that means I'm kind of not nice. Mm. That's not cool. Anyway. anyway. Love fest. <laughs> There you go. All right. Uh, well, Catherine, great job. Uh, Jeff, great job. Uh, jumping in the pod as always. want to thank our producer, Danielle, for doing an incredible job with our podcast. Uh, and so, uh, yep, we'll appreciate everyone jumping on the Dunk and Holder podcast. And check out all of our great coverage, Saints training camp. Pelicans are back in action. LSU's rolling along. Tulane as well. Go follow everything we do 
theathletic.com slash New Orleans. So for Danielle, for Catherine Terrell, for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for jumping on the Duncan Holder podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.